morning to each of you. I'm so glad that we can be together this morning to worship and uh, hope that, of course, and trust that our God is glorified as we spend time together singing and praying and uh, learning from His Word. We, of course, want to keep our congregation in mind and all of those who are not able to be with us today. So many who are sick and uh, dealing with various things in their life, let's be mindful of them, uh, pray for them, reach out and let them know that we're thinking about, uh, about them. Build one another up as best, as best we can. Our greatest enemy is death. Job 24, verse 17, describes the terrors of the shadow of death. Psalm 44, verse 19, describes being covered in the shadow of death. And Romans 5, verse 12, says that death entered the world in the garden, and that there is a soul in this room who hasn't experienced its thing or who won't experience it in the future. We know death, we know the pain, we know the disease, and far too often we know the tragedy that produces it. We know the sorrow that it brings. We know the tears that flow and the loneliness and the helplessness that often overwhelms us as we mourn our loved ones and the longing to see them and embrace them again that overcomes us that is sometimes so strong it feels like a fire that burns down deep inside us. Death is no friend to be embraced, but rather it is an enemy to be defeated. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 26, the Apostle Paul says that death is the last enemy that will be defeated. And our passage today, John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, tells us how, and more importantly, who will defeat it. As we look at the statement in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, we have now come to the fifth of seven of the I Am statements of Jesus. We have I Am the bread of life in John 6 and verse 35. I Am the light of the world in John 8 and verse number 12. I Am the door of the sheep in John 10 and verse 9. And I Am the good shepherd in John 10 and verse number 11. Now, all five of these statements so far, in fact, all of the statements of Jesus, all seven I Am statements, they all tell us something about His identity. They tell us something about His nature. They tell us something about His authority. And each one of them is found in a unique setting. And each one of them has been prompted in large part due to the reactions by people in response to His ministry. But when we come to John 11, verse 25, we find a circumstance that is indeed very unique. And that is because John 11, verse 25 and 26 is spoken in the context of death. And not just any death, but the death of one whom our Lord loved dearly. The Bible tells us in John 11, verse number 1, there was a certain man named Lazarus of Bethany who was sick. And the Bible also tells us that the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, that they sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love, the one whom you love, he's sick. 
Immediately, of course, Jesus recognizes the situation for exactly what it is. Jesus will make the statement in verse number 4 that the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, the Son of God might be glorified thereby. We'll talk more about that statement in a few moments in our study this morning. Jesus will uh, make his way to Bethany. He will make his way to Martha and to Mary and take his disciples along with him. And of course, by the time he arrives there, Lazarus has already been dead for several days. He's been buried. He's been placed in the tomb. And Jesus will go on to have a conversation with the sisters of, of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. Jesus will say to Martha in verse number 23, your brother will rise again. Martha doesn't completely understand the point of this statement. It's true, according to verse 24, that she recognized that there is a resurrection to come. And certainly Jesus ultimately has that in mind, but that's not exactly and completely what Jesus is talking about in verse 23 when he says your brother will rise again. He didn't mean your brother will rise again sometime in the future yet to come. He meant today, even now, your brother will rise again. And that is exactly what happened. The Bible tells us that Jesus will go to the grave, the tomb of Lazarus. He will call him to come forth, and Lazarus will come forth in verse number 43 and following. And as a result, the Bible says in John chapter 11 and verse 45, many believed on him. I want us to consider the statement that Jesus makes in John 11, verse 25 and 26 today about being the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, it shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then the question, do you believe this? This morning what we want to do is we want to break the statement down, see exactly what it means, and end with the question, with which Jesus ended in verse 26. Do you believe it? Let's begin our study this morning first by talking about the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And what we need to recognize at the outset about resurrection is that resurrection is a key biblical doctrine, and it is also a doctrine that happens to be central to New Testament Christianity. In Job chapter 14 and verse 14, Job asked the question that all men have asked, If a man die, shall he live again? And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 19, as we're reading about the patriarch Abraham, that though as far as we know, he had witnessed no recorded resurrections up till that time, he obviously had the faith and the knowledge of God enough that he was assured that God had the power to restore life. Because when God told Abraham to take Isaac and offer him upon the altar, Abraham knew that God had made a promise that through Isaac all nations would be blessed, that he was to be the fulfillment of the seed promise, as it were. And so, therefore, Hebrews 11, 19 tells us that, that Abraham reckoned that God was able to raise him from the dead. The psalmist knew something about resurrection. Psalm 49 and verse 15, he said, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Job and Abraham and the psalmist, and even Martha and Mary in John chapter 11, they all knew something about God's power to restore life, to make resurrection a reality. They all knew something, as it were, in shadow, that Christ will come, and to take his statement of himself in John chapter 8 and verse number 12, he will shed light 
on their limited knowledge. For he will say, not only is resurrection a possibility, not only does God have the power to make it happen, but I am the one, I am the one who makes, who makes the resurrection certain. The Bible will go on to say not only that resurrection is something that is key, but also that resurrection is indeed certain. Jesus promised it in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, as he talks in a section about the authority that the Father had given him. He said, Marvel not at this, when the hour is coming, in which they that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of condemnation. The Apostle Paul in Acts 24, verse 15, put it this way, There will be, there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, he says that God has both raised up our Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. We remember the words, too, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 and following. As Paul writes about the resurrection and the second coming of our Lord, he writes, because there are those Christians in Thessalonica who apparently have come to the conclusion that if their loved ones, their brethren in Christ, pass away before the second coming of the Lord, that they're going to miss out on heaven. And Paul says that's not the case at all. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And listen to this, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The Bible leaves no question as to the reality, as to the certainty, as to the fact that there is and that there will be a resurrection from the dead. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the greatest chapters in Scripture, the certainty of this is further emphasized. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul will talk about the reality of Christ's resurrection. He says, For I delivered unto you first of all how that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scripture. Paul is defining the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and following, as the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in this passage, in another passage is like it. For example, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible will proclaim to us that the reality of resurrection and the reality of our hope for the resurrection of the dead is based firmly upon the reality of Jesus Christ's resurrection. That is to say, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then there is no resurrection. In fact, Paul will go on in 1 Corinthians 15 to say, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. And if that's the case, then we are miserable and we are without hope. But he'll say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 to 22, that Christ is raised. And that he has become the first fruits, which is a promise of what's to come in the future. He'll go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 44 and 49 to 49. And he'll talk not only about the reality of the resurrection, the reality of Christ's resurrection, and the reality of our resurrection, if you will, but he'll even talk about the resurrected body. He'll talk about the fact that we'll be raised with a spiritual body, fit for eternity. 
a body that is fit for dwelling in the presence of God in heaven forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, Paul talks about being clothed upon with that body. And he talks in that context about his desire to be clothed uh, with that body. He says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle are dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about the spiritual body that he described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he said, for in this we grow, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with a house that is from heaven. In other words, we have this longing, we have this great desire for that spiritual body, that body that is fit for eternity, that body that is fit to dwell in the presence of God in heaven forever. That was his desire. He'll say in Philippians 3 verse 21 that the Lord will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And of course, we must know 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, where John says, Beloved, uh, beloved uh, we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as we is. The Apostle Paul emphasizes the certainty of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, just as Jesus does in John chapter 5 and in John chapter 11. And the Apostle Paul will go on to talk a little bit about the logistics, if you will, about the resurrected body. And the Apostle John will go on and say that uh, we know not what that body will look like, we know not what it will be, but what we do know is that it will be like he is, because we'll see him as he is. And the Bible says no more or no less than, than that. The resurrection is a key biblical doctrine, it's one that we must realize is an absolute certainty. And uh, in John chapter 11, verse 25, as Jesus talks about the resurrection, he not only emphasizes its certainty, but he also emphasizes that he's the one who makes it a certainty. Jesus didn't just say the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And the I am, of course, is in fact. His point is that I am no other. And the, uh, the implication is that Christ is the one and the only one who makes resurrection a possibility and uh, certainty. In John 5, verse 21 through 29, the section that we referenced earlier where Jesus promised that there will be a resurrection from the dead, uh, both of the just and the unjust, it is found in the context in which Jesus describes his authority. Paul, Jesus will say that the Father had given him authority in John 5, 21 and following. And so therefore, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, his authority is implied. It's inherent in the statement. And the reason why he is able to make it a reality is because, as we said a moment ago, he lives. Not only would Jesus say, I am the resurrection, and your brother will rise again, and there will be a resurrection, Jesus himself has resurrected and in fact, in John chapter 11, verse 4, when Jesus said of the sickness of Lazarus that it's not unto death, but it's for the glory of God, the Son of God might be glorified thereby, I would suggest to you that among other things, he had the resurrection in mind. You remember as you read through the beginning portions of the chapter, that when Jesus said that Lazarus is sick, the disciples, the twelve, they thought, well, he's ill. And they didn't understand why would we go wake him if he's ill and sleep. And so Jesus has to plainly tell them, he's not ill, he's dead. That's what I mean when I say he's asleep. He's dead, he's not ill. And the reason why, of course, Jesus goes through this entire ordeal is because, verse number four, the purpose of this miracle is to produce faith in Mary and in Martha and in the twelve. 
The purpose of this miracle in John chapter 11 and verse number 4, as Jesus talks about the Son of God being glorified, it is important to note that Jesus will also use the language of being glorified or glorification in reference also to the cross. And indeed, he'll even use it in reference to the resurrection. So when Jesus says in verse number 4 that the sickness is for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified, certainly he has all three of these things in mind. Jesus will go on, and Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead, and that miracle will produce faith in those who see it. But in the latter portions of the chapter, the Bible will tell us that it is this very miracle that, if you will, finally pushes the button that makes the straw break the camel's back so that the Pharisees have had enough, and they go and they, and they set themselves with the intention of putting him to death. So the glorification of Jesus Christ in this miracle in John 11 verse 4, it begins simply by the event producing faith, but it, ex it extends all the way to the cross and his rising from the dead. That resurrection, of course, is prophesied in passages like Psalm 16, the fulfillment being exclaimed in Acts chapter, 20, in Acts chapter 2 verse 22 to 36. And the Bible will go on to make a um, uh, to make a, a point of certainty based upon that fact. Paul said he's the first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15, 20, 22, which means it's a pledge of that which is to come. It's pointing forward to the resurrection that is to come. He talks about how our victory is assured over death in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 57, because Christ lives, therefore we know that we shall. He talks about our faith and our hope being rested firmly upon the foundation of the truth of this resurrection in 1 Peter 1 and verse number 3. Acts 4, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that resurrection is preached in His name. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, what He is doing is He is taking this, this central, this important fact, this point of doctrine of resurrection, and he is exclaiming it not as a possibility, not as something that we know just a little bit about, but he is exclaiming it as a reality, and he says, I am, meaning he's the one who makes it a reality. And the reason he makes it a reality is because, number one, Jesus gave him the, or God gave him the authority, John chapter 5, but number two, he himself has resurrected, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and therefore our resurrection and our victory is assured. But now look at John chapter 11, verse 26. Jesus will say, Whoever liveth and believeth in me will never die. Do you believe this? Here is the application. I want you to notice that in every one of these I am statements, Jesus makes a statement just like this one. In verse number 26, that follows along very closely to the I am statement. When he says, I am the bread of life, he says you're going to have to believe and you're going to have to eat. When he says, I am the light of the world, he says, you're going to have to believe. When he says, I am the door, he says, you're going to have to walk through the door. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he says, you're going to have to hear my voice and you're going to have to follow me. And the point is this, that over and again throughout the book of John, the acceptance and the belief and ongoing dedication and followership of the Lord is emphasized. When Jesus says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die, he is not talking about a one-time event, but rather he is talking about an ongoing action. He is talking about a life of dedicated followership. Notice it's implied in verse 26. He doesn't just say, whoever believes in me. He says, whoever lives in me. We talk about 
passages like Ephesians 5 and 1 John chapter 1 about walking in the light and walking as children of light. And of course we recognize that those passages mean that as we live in this dark world, our responsibility as children of God is to live opposite of the world. Our responsibility as children of God is to live in such a way that we reflect the light of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others are pointing to the Father and so that others glorify Him because of our good works, Matthew 5 and verse 16. But in John chapter 11 verse 26, Jesus says, maybe we should think of it, maybe we should think of it in these terms, that as we live our lives in this world, we live with the reality of the resurrection at the forefront of our minds. We live with the reality with the knowledge, rather, of knowing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that at some point our Lord is going to return, and when He returns, He'll bring victory with Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, the Apostle Paul has some interesting things to say. He says simply this, All are yours. Life, death, things present, things to come, whatever it may be. He says, all things are yours. What does he mean by that? Have you ever watched an incredibly suspenseful movie for the second time? The third time? Was it just as suspenseful the second, the third, or the fifth time as it was the first time? The answer is no, of course, and the reason is because you already knew how to do it. You already knew the answer to the riddle, the puzzle. The crime had already been solved. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 to 23, all things are yours, it's the same principle as watching a suspenseful movie for the second or the third time. We already know the end. The mystery has already been solved. The answer has already been given. The victory has already been won. It's not something that is a question. But it's something that is assured. But now, look at your Bibles of Philippians chapter 3 for a moment. And I want you to notice something that the Apostle Paul writes about himself by inspiration. I want you to look with me at Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 and follow. In this well-known passage, you'll remember the Apostle Paul said, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yet doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and do count them but done that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, he says, and the fellowship of his suffering, be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Realize that in the context the Apostle Paul has warned in verse number 1 and 2 about those who would distract these Christians' attention, who would cause them to turn their eyes away from the goal. And apparently those specifically whom he has in mind are Judaizers. And so in the following verses, when he talks about his own resume, if you will, his accomplishments in Judaism, the purpose is to tell them something like this. You don't need to listen to the promises that the Judaizers make because I know all about them. I've been there, and I've done that, and I've got the t-shirt, and I'm here to tell you that they offer no and they offer no answers, and that everything that they have to say is vile and false and worthless, and you turn away from it. 
He says, I did it. I counted them all the loss, verse number 7. And on through verse number 10, what he describes is the fact that each and every day, as he said in verse one, chapter 1 and verse 21, for me to live is Christ. He says, listen, each and every day my life is dedicated not to looking backward and not to engaging myself in the things of the world, but rather it's dedicated to looking on to the future and to serving and to following and to obeying faithfully every day, my Lord. And what's the reason? Verse number 11. If by any means that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Jesus said there's a resurrection coming. You remember John, John chapter 5. A resurrection of a resurrection of the just. A resurrection that leads to life. But also a resurrection of condemnation. All will rise, but not all will rise to live with the Lord in eternity. Some will rise and they'll go on and they'll be with the devil in hell for eternity. Jesus or Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I count all of the things of this world but waste, and I turn away from them, and I focus my attention on Christ so that I might be able to rise, not to live with the devil for eternity, but rather so that I might live with my Lord for eternity. And then in the last verse of the chapter, verse 21, he says he'll change our mind of body that may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what he says is resurrection is certain, and it's certain because I make it certain. And the reason that I make it certain is because, number one, God the Father has given me authority, John chapter 5. And number two, I myself have resurrected and so, or will resurrect. And so, therefore, because of the reality of my resurrection, your resurrection, your victory is assured. But only, verse number 26, if you live and if you believe in me, which means you dedicate yourself to you follow me. You turn out and turn away from the world. And you live your life in my service. Death is our greatest enemy. It's not a friend to be embraced. It's an enemy to be defeated. And Christ has defeated it. And when Christ returns and when the trumpet sounds, we'll all defeat it. Because it's the last enemy. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26. So therefore, we don't have to fear death. And we don't have to fear anything or anyone in this world who may threaten the harness. But rather, we may stand boldly in faith, knowing that victory has already been won. Because all things are yours. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 to 23. Now, the only question that's left to be asked this morning is whether or not we have been buried with our Lord and resurrected to walk in newness of life, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a different kind of resurrection, if you will, but it is a resurrection that is imperative. In fact, it is a resurrection that is required if I am to hope to rise in that day to be able to go and be with the Lord in heaven for eternity. In Romans chapter 6 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible describes this process in which we obey the gospel, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we repent of our sins, and we confess our faith, and we're immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. 
And when we're immersed in water, we reenact the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the old man of sin dies, and the new man resurrects, rises from the waters of baptism to walk in newness of life, to live for the Lord. John chapter 11 and verse 26. And in Revelation 2 and verse 10, the Bible says that if we live faithfully unto death, that we'll be granted a crown of righteousness. Do you believe it? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe it? The Lord's invitation is offered. And if there is any need that you may have, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing this.